morning. Before I begin, I want to make a quick announcement. This evening, after our uh, PM service, uh, we do invite all of you uh, to come and join us for our family devotional. Um, That is going to be at uh, Ryan and uh, Brandy Hall's house, Uh, and uh, we've got a lot of stuff planned, devotional, uh, dinner, uh, and uh, we would love to, absolutely love to have you. Um, You may be thinking that um, that it is basically only something for our uh, little kids and, and our teenagers, but that is not necessarily the case. Um, I think at this point in time, uh, by now, it basically goes without saying that if you agree to uh, a family devotional, you are agreeing to me inviting everyone in, the church, uh, in, in our church to, to be a part of that and to uh, have an invitation to join us, no matter uh, your age. Uh, no matter who you are, we want you there. We want you to, to be a part of that. And uh, so we would love to have you with us. If you are coming, uh, please feel free to help us out by bringing uh, a two-liter drink with you or, uh, or, or a dessert. Uh, but uh, that will be this evening, again, after uh, PM service. If you have any other questions, uh, just let me know. So moving into our lesson for this morning... I have ended up having to make an unplanned hospital visit only four times that I can remember. I've had several times that, that I have had to uh, you know, go and have different doctor's visits. Um, I've had different procedures done, uh, a few different very minor surgeries. Uh, but only four times have I had uh, a kind of an impromptu, uh, I think we kind of need to go to the hospital kind of situation. Uh, the first two times I was very young. I was only five the first time and then seven uh, the next time. Uh, so in K-5 and then again in second grade. And then my other two, uh, I, had, I had just, I guess like 15 years or so where I just did really well. And then uh, my, my previous or my last two visits were when I was, I believe, about 22, and then again when I was about 24, 25. So only one of those while I have been here at Midway. And uh, of course, every single time that I have, have made one of those visits, it's, it's always been for, for something different. Um, something that has just kind of gone wrong and, and I definitely just needed to, to go and, and uh, you know, get, get medical help to kind of recover from, from all these different things. Uh, and my most recent one, I'm not going to go into any details because I will just go and say that you do not want to hear any details about, uh, about it. But I remember it very vividly. Basically, I was in... Uh, I was in Mississippi, I was in Hattiesburg, and I was going to make my way to Mobile that evening. And as I began driving, I began realizing that I was not doing well uh, physically, that I was getting very sick. Um, I made several stops uh, on the way home, um, and basically I was getting worse and worse and worse, and uh, I was trying to do my best to actually get uh, to to my my mom's house, so that way we could kind of figure out what to what to do from there. And I could not make it. I was about 45 minutes away, 
and I said, I'm going to pull into this parking lot and you please come meet me and... Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, my mom met me there with my brother and they ended up taking me to the hospital and, uh, and I was fine by the next day. Everything, everything was, was okay. But every time that I have gone to the hospital, usually, of course, again, it was always something different, but every time it was, I was basically forced to go there because of one Thing, because of one symptom, one uh, kind of effect of whatever sickness, whatever bug, whatever I had that had pushed me to having to go to the hospital. And that was every single time because of dehydration. Uh, every single time that, that I ended up in the hospital, it was because I got way too dehydrated very, very quick, quickly. And uh, and, you know, I, I've learned that I cannot go very long without getting dehydrated. Uh, it's something that I have to always kind of keep uh, into my mind um, as I'm thinking, especially as I'm getting sick. I, I absolutely have to stay hydrated. And uh, if you've ever seen me kind of just walking around, if you've ever seen me uh, just in everyday life, you might have seen me with this because this is my solution in order to fight dehydration. This is my water bottle, and I carry this with me uh, almost everywhere that I go. And my goal, this is actually, it looks smaller to me, but it's actually a half gallon. And so my goal every day is to try and drink two of these. Sometimes I go too far and I drink three of these, and it's, it's a lot of water, I know. Uh, and sometimes I'll get through one of them and I'll start the second one, I won't actually make it. And then some days, uh, to be honest, on Sundays, I actually don't, I don't use this, uh, mainly because I do not want to be up here really needing to go to the restroom. Uh, so I don't use it on Sundays. But every other day, I try to drink two of these a day. I try to drink that. And that's basically my way to, to fight dehydration, to keep myself from getting too, uh, too dehydrated, from, from allowing myself to not get the amount of water that I need in my system. Now, some people can go uh, much longer without really feeling any kind of effects of dehydration. And in fact, you can technically be dehydrated and not even really realize it. Uh, it doesn't actually take much. Uh, but eventually, if you do not drink water, if you don't drink the amount of, of water that you need and you just continue to put it off and put it off, eventually your body is going to start uh, shutting down. Your body is going to start saying, okay, there is a problem here. And the problem is that I am not getting enough water. And so eventually everybody is going to face that same thing because we know this and we understand this. Water is important for our bodies to function. Water is very important for us to be able to, to process and, and work the way that it needs to. And it's one of the most primitive needs that we see for, for all living things. And I want to talk more about that, and we're going to go back to that. Uh, but first, I want to talk to you about this, uh, this specific festival that we see in John chapter 7. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, please turn to John chapter 7. We're going to look at a couple, uh, a couple verses here that will actually kind of be what we revolve this idea around. And so, in John chapter 7, we see this, uh, this festival that's taking place, this feast. Uh, and it is called the Feast of Booths. 
And it is a pilgrimage festival that is taking place in Judea. More specifically, uh, kind of around the Jerusalem area. And so we see this pilgrimage festival that is taking place. And I'm going to explain exactly what this really is. So it is an event that, um, that is celebrated by the Jews. And they all travel to this area in Judea. They all travel to around the Jerusalem area. And what they do is they spend a week. Uh, they spend a week there. They stay there for an entire week. And in order for them to stay there, they have to have somewhere to somewhere to stay. And instead of just, you know, kind of uh, getting a place to, to stay or finding, you know, somewhere that they can rent for for a week. Instead of doing any of that, they actually come in and they build these things that they call booths. Uh, and these are basically these structures that they make where they kind of put all these walls up and then they cover uh, the structures in palm leaves. And that kind of becomes the, the roof of uh, of this booth uh, that they call it. And so they stay in these booths for a week. And, and of course, again, that's kind of the, the length of this event. And uh, they're staying in these shelters and and, uh, and this is all done for a reason. It's not, they didn't just decide to do this. Uh, this is actually done as a reminder of how Israel lived for the years that they spent wandering in the wilderness. The booths that they create and that they, that they uh, kind of construct and that they stay in for that week, uh, it's very similar to what uh, all of the people of Israel ended up staying in during their time. Uh, while they were wandering through the wilderness. And so this time together, this week that they have together, all, you know, staying together in this one place, this is a reminder of this time of, of Israel back in, in the past. And so during all this time together, what exactly do they do? Well, the first day and then the last, uh, I believe the last two days, is usually time where they spend uh, celebrating and feasting and uh, really just, you know, really celebrating how, where they have come in comparison to where they have been. And so they spend the, the first day of, of the Feast of Booths uh, celebrating and feasting. And then they do that again on the sixth day, which is not as big of a deal. But then on the seventh day is the, is the big feast. It's the biggest of all of them. Uh, it is actually referred to as the Great Day. Uh, so it's all kind of building up to this time, but they're, sp they're spending this time together all in one place in these booths and celebrating and feasting and, and doing all this stuff all together. And so that is this uh, really kind of the, the setting of where we pick up in John chapter 7. We're right in the middle of this feast taking place. And, uh, and we see that, of course, if Jerusalem is going to be packed with all these people uh, for this festival, of course, then that means that the temple is going to be crowded every single day. It is going to be packed with people because, of course, there's uh, so many people that they're all staying and all these, you know, all these people are coming together into one place. And, and so the temple is, is crowded. And Jesus is teaching during this week. 
And, and all throughout chapter 7, we actually see all this kind of being set up and we see the story of, of how Jesus uh, isn't going to come to uh, Judea at first and then later on he, he makes the decision to do so and he comes and, and he begins speaking to all these people. And so Jesus spends this whole week talking to the people that are gathered together for this festival. And so now we get to the final day of this feast in John chapter 7, beginning in uh, verse 37. Uh, we see here, of course, before we read that, Jesus is in Judea and he is teaching in the temple. And so here we see that Jesus has continued to teach and we're going to see uh, what exactly he's teaching on this final day. So beginning in verse 37 of John chapter 7, it reads, On the last day of the feast, the, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now before we continue... I want to kind of go through the, the process of how these people all together are probably thinking. Because they're all here for this final day of, of this feast, of this festival, and they are all celebrating, and they are all uh, basically eating and drinking and, and having all of these things that have been prepared for them, that they've prepared for the week. And Jesus comes up in front of all of these people, and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, the thought process of the people that are there is obviously, but Jesus, we are not thirsty. Because we are, we are feasting today. We are all eating and we are all you know, having everything that, that we possibly need. So why in the world would he think that we are thirsty? We're not thirsty at all. We are in the middle of this feast. We have everything that we need. I want to read the next verse together. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 38. This is a continuation of what Jesus is saying here. He says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And as Jesus tells them this, it's at that point that these people make this connection of what exactly he's saying. Because obviously Jesus was not talking about if you are physically thirsty, come to me and I'll give you something to drink. Jesus is saying something much deeper and much greater than all of this. And these people are making this connection because Jesus is now quoting something that we see in Isaiah chapter 55 about uh, this idea of, of living water. And he even says, uh, basically, as, uh, as Scripture is telling you, if you believe in me, out of your heart will flow living water. Now, I want to kind of go back a couple of chapters into John chapter 4. Because when, when we normally think about this idea of, of living water, when we think about Jesus uh, talking about living water, this is not normally the story that we go to. We normally go to a different story found in John chapter 4 about a, a woman that is at this well. Uh, about a, a woman who is talking to Jesus and is basically 
uh, you know, Jesus is asking her for something to drink and she's even kind of saying, well, how is it that you're going to be uh, talking with me because we are not, our people aren't really supposed to be getting along. Uh, and so we see this uh, similar story and we see Jesus talk to her about this living water. In fact, I want to go to John chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, and I just want to reread uh, exactly what Jesus says to her. Of course, he's talking about this water that they find uh, in the well uh, at first as, as we begin this passage. Because, uh, all right, so Jesus said to her, beginning in verse 13, he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Talking about the, the water from, from the well that, that he's getting from this woman. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, in both places, both in John chapter 4 and then again in John chapter 7, Jesus refers to this, this living water. A flowing spring of water that will bring eternal life to all those that, that partake of it. You see, in this, uh, in this time, in John chapter 4, when he's speaking to this woman, and then again in John chapter 7, he is proclaiming it to all of these people that are gathered together in the temple. Jesus is confirming who he is and what he is capable of. Jesus is confirming to all of these people that he is, in fact, the Son of God and is also the way. He is the way that all of these people need to be following. And he's telling them what exactly he's capable of. And, and later on in his life, he's going to be showing them what he is capable of. And so here we see Jesus confirm to them who he is what he's capable of. And we see that at first, uh, with this woman at the well, she does not understand this. Um, and, and it actually takes a little bit of time for her to realize who he is exactly. And we see that as, uh, as that passage continues. But here, when Jesus proclaims this in the temple, we see that a lot of people recognize that there is something incredible about this man. They realize immediately that he is not just talking about physical water and giving them something to drink, but that he is talking about what he is able to provide all of these people that decide to listen and follow his instructions. And we also see that as a result of that, there is a division that takes place. Because many, in reference to this, uh, if you continue to read here, we see that a lot of people say, he must be the prophet. And other people say, he must be the Christ. And they understand who he is, and they begin to listen to him, and they desire to follow him. But of course, there are others that, that do not believe this. There are other people that doubt uh, what, he is, what he is saying, and exactly what uh, he is trying to do here, and they no longer believe that he is anyone special. And so they, they argue over what this means, what he has said and who he really is. But I want us to understand because I feel like we all agree that we know who he is 
And we know what he is capable of. And because we understand that, we can understand exactly what Jesus was trying to get across when he was talking to these people. And what he was saying to them is that what I can provide, what I am able to give to you, there is nothing greater. There is absolutely nothing greater than having and taking of this living water. And so as a result, we see that many people, uh, after they, they listen to him uh, in John chapter 7, in this time, during this festival, there are many people that choose uh, throughout uh, his ministry to, to follow after him. Uh, and they do this in order to be filled by this living water, this living water that he's offering to them. They say, I'm, I'm going to follow this. And of course we see that other people deny him. Other people decide that they are going to hate him. Other people decide that they are going to make him their enemy. And they're going to do everything they can to end his life. But we see that what Jesus is telling these people is that what I can provide, there's not going to be anything greater than this. In 1943, uh, there was a man named Abraham Maslow, and uh, he was actually a, a psychologist, and he created, uh, he created this thing called the hierarchy of needs. Uh, he created this, this pyramid that was basically a psychological uh, theory uh, and, uh, and I'm going to, we're going to go through it and I'm going to kind of explain this to you. Uh, this was one of the things that I learned uh, in college. Uh, of course, I, uh, I'm actually a psychology major or I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology. And so I, I love getting to, to learn all these different theories and all these different ideas. Um, and I'm not saying that, that this idea is absolutely 100% correct. Um, but it is a very interesting theory to think about. It's a very interesting uh, concept to, uh, to kind of understand and to really uh, kind of see the value in. And so uh, I'm going to actually put the hierarchy of needs up on the screen for you so you can kind of look at that. Uh, this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now, instead of doing the, the word version, I did the picture version. Um, and I'm going to explain exactly what all these different tiers are. Uh, and, and what it means also. Uh, because if I just explain what it is, it'd still be a little bit confusing. All right, so here at the bottom, we see all of these physiological needs. Uh, the idea of having food and having water and warmth and rest and, and just all of these very basic needs. And right above that, in the, in the next column up, of course, we're starting at the bottom, kind of making our way up. On that second one, we see... All of our safety needs, needs of being able to, to have security in our lives. And so again, from the bottom, we see the physiological needs, food and water, and then above that safety. All of these are considered to be basic needs. Now above that, the next one is actually needs of belonging and love. This idea of, of absolutely ha having to have uh, relationships 
having to have love, having to have uh, not just surface level friendships, but, but deep, meaningful relationships with other people. And then above that, in the, in the fourth column going up, uh, we see needs of self-esteem. Uh, this idea of feelings of accomplishment, being able to accomplish the things that are set before us. And both the, the middle tier and then the one above that, those are called psychological needs. And then at the very, very top, those are needs of self-actualization, uh, self-fulfillment needs. Basically, this idea of being able to achieve our full potential. Now, here is the way that this uh, this idea, this theory works. You have to start at the bottom. And in order for you to make your way up to, in order to achieve self-actualization or even self-esteem being the second to, to top one, uh, in order to achieve any of these above columns, you have to have a very, uh, a very set and a very stable foundation uh, on all of these that are below it. So if you are going to work toward these ideas of feeling accomplishment, uh, being able to, to achieve those things in your life, before you can do that, you have to first establish all of your basic needs and then work on your psychological needs. And so that's the idea that, that Maslow presented here. And sure, there might be kind of some things where you go, well, this doesn't make sense in this way. And, and you might be right. But overall, it has a very... Uh, very easy to understand concept that I think we can, for the most part, agree with. And that is, if we don't have all of our basic needs figured out, we can't begin to build on top of those things. And we see this idea of, of this hierarchy of needs, and it's easy to understand that, uh, that we definitely don't need to be aiming for something up top when we are not getting the nutrition that we need in order to even survive. How, how crazy would it be for us to, to try and work on our relationships and to work on uh, being able to, to achieve levels of self-esteem that we need when yet we're not eating or drinking anything at all? Or we don't have a, a place to, to actually sleep at night? Why would we be working on all those other things when we have needs that are much greater that we're not focusing on or, or that we're ignoring entirely. And in a way, in a different way, but in a way, we have a very similar period, uh, pyramid of needs in our lives spiritually. This same pyramid really does exist uh, in, a, in a spiritual way. Because we understand that we have to start with some kind of, of base. We have to start with some kind of foundation before we can begin to work our way up, before we can continue to mature in our lives spiritually. And over time, we, we work our way up as we grow and as we mature and as our faith develops. And we actually know that this is, uh, this is a real thing that, that happens with people because uh, this took place in the New Testament. Uh, we actually see that uh, this happens with the church in Corinth. Uh, Paul writes a, a letter to the church in Corinth that he had, uh, that he had been with previously, and, and he sends this letter to them. And he's basically saying, 
you guys really need to work on your foundation before you start working your way up. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this is what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. You see, the church in Corinth was not prepared to work their way up, to work their way into this spiritual maturity, because they were still, as Paul defined them, they were still infants in Christ. And if we look at it in this idea of a pyramid... The church in Corinth was still working on their base. They were still working on the absolute basic needs that they needed before they could start working their way up toward this spiritual maturity. But one thing I do want to make sure that we we do see is that the church in Corinth did still desire and have a thirst and have a hunger for establishing that relationship. Yes, they might have been at the absolute most elementary level of all of this, but they wanted to grow. They wanted to build their way up. They wanted to construct this pyramid and make their way toward the top. And so we see that the church was was working on that base. And if we think back, let's go back to to John chapter 7. We think back to this group of people that it's all meeting together and it's all, uh, you know, listening to the words of Jesus. We, of course, see some of them that began to to go after this living water, uh, that they wanted to follow Jesus and begin uh, to, uh, to start that relationship with him. But then we saw many that felt very differently. And so many of these people in Judea, in Jerusalem, especially the religious leaders and the skeptics and all of those that were really putting down the words that, that Jesus was, was speaking, they were so focused on the practices and the perceptions of the temple and of the church at that time that they overlooked something completely. And the thing that they overlooked completely was Jesus. And because they overlooked him they decided that they did not want any part of this living water that was being provided to them. And because they did that, they in turn became so spiritually dehydrated. You see, they were so focused on the top of their pyramid and making sure that everything, uh, every detail, every uh, very minute idea was, was being done exactly the way they wanted that they didn't realize that their foundation was absolutely crumbling. It had completely crumbled and they had become spiritually dehydrated. And as a result of that, there was no life in their relationship with God whatsoever. One of my favorite things about the summer is all of the time that um, that I get to spend with, with our teens. Um, all of the different events that we get to, uh, we get to go to, all the different things that, that are planned, whether it's just us or whether it's um, you know, us and a few hundred other people. Uh, in fact, 
uh, we just got back last weekend from the AIM conference. And uh, that was in Montgomery, and there were about 600 people there. And, um, and I love getting to, to go to those things with, with our group and getting to see exactly how they are spiritually filled by this living water. And even just going with this, this idea, and if you'll kind of picture this illustration with me, I almost see it as, uh, as all of our, our group getting on the bus and they've got these water bottles and they're, they're filled already with, with this living water. And when we go to these things and, and they, they strengthen themselves or, or they are strengthened in their relationship with God, and when we come back, I feel like they are coming back with just coolers of this living water. Just so much being able to, to go in and, and really establish that relationship and understand how important it is for us to have this living water in our lives, to keep ourselves from being spiritually dehydrated. And they come back with as much as they possibly can. And throughout the year... I feel like there are times when I get to do the same thing, where I get to come back and feel, uh, feel like I- I'm spiritually filled. And maybe you do too. Maybe there are times when, when you, uh, moments that you have or experiences that you have where you're able to, to become uh, spiritually filled. But after this time, Though immediately after we're able to prepare ourselves for what lies ahead for, uh, for our time at home or our time at school or at work or wherever we might be, over time we, we lose that momentum. We, we run out of that living water. And sometimes we get dehydrated. Because our, our lives have these cyclical, these changing moments of, of strength and weakness. We go through these times where, where spiritually we, feel, we are so filled up. And then other times we are absolutely just run dry and there's nothing there. And how awesome would it be if we were able to always stay spiritually filled and hydrated and ready to be able to do anything and everything that comes our way and to be able to withstand all of these things that are against us. Because there is a problem. There is a point of spiritual death. And that is when we are dehydrated and we find ourselves with no motivation to drink. We find ourselves spiritually so close to death and we look at this pyramid and and we don't understand the basic need that we have to be spiritually filled to be hydrated with this living water I have a a question for you and I want you to think about this and I want you to um, just kind of think through this, this answer for you My question to you, is this the only time this week that you're going to receive living water? Now, when I ask this, I 
basically mean, you know, are you going to have more time that you're going to spend studying the Word of God or in prayer or at least talking about spiritual things, talking about your spiritual life with other people, sharing the Word of God with other people? Are you going to have other times in your week where you're making sure that you are not running out of water? Is this the only time when you come in with this water bottle and you fill it up and you just hope that it's going to last you for the rest of the week? Is this the only time this week that you're going to receive this living water? Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, if it is, it's not enough. If this is the only time, you're going to run out of water. You are going to become dehydrated. And you either are or you will be spiritually dehydrated if you continue to live in this way. Your pyramid of needs is going to crumble and eventually if you continue to only live with this small amount that you receive, your spiritual life is going to come to an end. And as we think about this idea, we have to also understand, you know, and maybe you're thinking through all of this and maybe you're thinking you know what, I probably am spiritually dehydrated, but eventually something's going to hit me and, and I'm going to kind of wake up from this and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find more and I'm, I'm going to be okay. But I want to ask you this as well. If, if we aren't experiencing or living out Jesus the way that we should, if we are allowing ourselves to currently be dehydrated, but we don't have any intentions of making any changes right here and now, how can we expect to ever be spiritually filled? We can't live our lives just hoping that maybe we'll, out of some random chance, receive the water, the living water that we need. If we don't make those changes, how can we expect to ever be filled? I want to look at one more verse before we conclude this evening. And that's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Very simple, but very powerful. Verse 6, it reads, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The people in the church in Corinth, the people that, that heard the words of Jesus in John chapter 7 and said, that man is someone special. Those people all had that thirst and that hunger for righteousness. They understood how important it was for them to receive this living water. And a lot of them continue to to be a part of the church, to follow Jesus in any and every way that they could. You see, in this life, it is very easy for us to, to fill up on other things. It's very easy for us to fill our lives with sin, to fill our lives with, with selfish desires, with the things that the world offers. 
And a lot of times we, we do fill up on these things and we think this is just as good of a substitute. And so we fill up on these things and we say, this is giving me everything that I need. And then we realize that we are spiritually so dehydrated. And we end up, after searching through all these things that the world offers, we end up just understanding that we need more. That we need something much greater than all of this. But we cannot forget that what Jesus provides, there is nothing greater. Jesus provides this living water. And if we have this, we will lack nothing. We will have everything that we need because this is what provides us eternal life. This is what provides us uh, a life that is so much greater than anything we could have possibly imagined here on this earth. So I, I want to end with this question. Are you currently receiving living water or are you dehydrated? As you look at your life right now, what does it look like? Do you see the different times all throughout your week, all throughout uh, every day that you live do you see all the opportunities that you have and that you are following through with in order to be spiritually filled, in order to be connected with Jesus, to establish that relationship with him, to grow with him, to study in his word and in prayer? Do you see the times that you are receiving this living water or are you realizing right now that you are so spiritually dehydrated? If you are, Please do not go home with an empty bottle. Please do not go home without making sure that you are spiritually filled. If there is anything we can do for you this evening, we always and will continue to offer the invitation to you to be able to come forward, to be able to receive prayers from, from this congregation, to receive uh, a renewed spirit to be able to receive uh, anything that you need from your God who has given you the greatest gift you could ever ask for. If there's anything you need, we ask that you come forward now as we stand.